we are back living the authentic life and I am so excited to have Kara Breeden as our guest today. She is the founder and CEO correct, of Texas mm-hmm. Forensic Nurses and we just held the most incredible fundraising event with Christy Lynn, with Madame Zero last week and we were really able to learn so much more about your needs in helping victims of domestic violence, of trafficking, of all sorts of abuse. And I just can't thank you enough for what you do for the community. Oh, it's an honor. And um, I'm just still dreaming about the event last week. It was so good. Um, It was just so beautiful and um, so thankful. So um, I have to start with an apology because you are Dr. Kara <laughs> Breeden, and I did not properly introduce totally you fine. last week, and I wanted to make a big deal out about it this week because no. we've got to raise up girl bosses that go through that effort to get that DR in front of their name. I don't make a big deal about it, so it's totally fine. Um, yes. But it is a big deal. Yeah, yeah we should. I agree with you. If uh, I was talking to somebody else, I would say the same thing. Um, I think it's when it's yourself. You're I know, you're like, like, oh, I feel oh, humble about it. Yeah. You don't have to do that for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so what are you a doctor? A doctorate in nursing? I have a doctorate of nursing practice, which um, I kind of explain it like a PhD. Everybody kind of uh-huh. knows what a PhD is. They're really focused on research and doing research projects and that sort of thing. And uh, DNP is more focused on clinical change. And so really I took my DNP, actually graduated right and um, kind of went into figuring out how to launch TXFNE. Mm-hmm. Um, but really that's what it's that's focused on. for Texas, Texas Forensic, Forensic Nurse Examiners. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but really it's focused on clinical change and um, what a way to make clinical change, but to create a community-based program. So I really took that um, kind of education and kind of pushed it out and uh, created a whole different place for victims to be uh, way for victims to be cared for in this community. So that's how I am utilizing my education, I suppose. (laughs) So amazing. And um, you've had a number of years as a nurse. How long have you been a nurse? I have been a nurse since 2002. 2002. Yeah. So over 20 years. Yeah. And what drew you to nursing initially? I kind of came from a medical background. My mom's a nurse. Um, My dad was a physician. Um, I kind of felt like it was what I was supposed to do. Uh, very honestly, I got I got pregnant very young. I was 17 when I got pregnant. I was 18 when I had my first child and um, I needed to be able to provide. And so at the time you could get, um, and you still mm-hmm. can, you could get an associate's degree in nursing and um, you know, a few years. And so for me, it was like, okay, this is a way I can, um, you know, make a decent living and be able to provide for my kiddo and um, all of that. So I kind of went on a path one, because I think it was probably my calling anyway, Mm -hmm. Uh, but two, it kind of fit for my circumstances and it's been such a great decision for me and, and my, my, my daughter's now a nurse that my, the child I had when I was 18, she's a nurse. She's actually my uh, clinical director, Brooklyn. You met her at the, (laughs) how did I not put that together, girl? 
Oh yep. my gosh. Yep. So do you not tell everyone she's your daughter? We don't right away. Um, she's, she's better about it than we used to be. She used to be kind of like, didn't really want people to know. She yes. kind of wanted to earn her own keep because she's like amazing in her own right and has like, she's like, I could not do it without her. Um, so she was used to be a little bit more cautious about letting uh -huh. like the general pub public know. Um, but she's gotten better that with that with age and I think confidence in her own space and she's great and it's awesome. So, um, so yeah, so she's a nurse. My husband's a nurse. My mom's a nurse. My mom also works with us. So it's all, it's all big family oh. love nursing thing going on. So I it's fun. So love that. So yeah. I was telling you before we started recording, I had a 22 year career working with my family Yeah. and, um, there's no one you trust more. Mm -mm. There's no one you can count on more, but there's no one that makes you more angry <laughs> when you're come from an Italian family. I, my dad's name is Vito Cangelosi. So oh, that kind wow. of gives you an idea. Love you, dad, but your temper is kind of hard to live under. So it's, um, it's great, but it's hard. Like even me and Rob, like there's never a moment that it's not part of our journey. Right. But as someone like who founded this organization and who's running it, it is your passion. There's yeah. no delineation between when you're working and when you're not right. working. Right. It seems to be so constant and there is such a need. Um, everyone out there watching probably knows that fighting sex trafficking and helping traffic victims is my biggest passion. Mm -hmm. And I just felt so connected to your journey because I spent so much time in my life as a younger person growing up with this opinion of what right and wrong was mm -hmm. that I looked at people who made decisions to be prostitutes or to be addicted to drugs and live in the street and live this life with judgment. And right. I've realized now that it, you should look at it with a heart of discernment and concern and empathy for their journey because many of them chose this life or were had this life chosen for them mm -hmm. or were prostituted as right. opposed to really chose to say, when I grow up, I want to be paid for sex right. and who I does wanna, that? who does that? Yeah. And so it's been a real evolution for me. And to see that when these girls come out of these situations, that they've been so brainwashed that they're not begging for help and saving that they believe this is their new reality. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that journey of the survivors, the victims. Well, I, I want to just say, cause I love that you said that first, because I think when I even started in my forensic nursing space, so I'd already uh -huh. been a nurse for 10 plus years. Uh -huh. And I think this is very common in the general, like general pu public, right? Uh -huh. I think we all assume we start from a generally same, the same place. Exactly. And I think, um, I just, so this is me. I had been a forensic nurse for about a year. Uh -huh. um, I s still was kind of understanding the space. I was still fairly green. And um, I remember it was a night I had two or three patients kind of back to back. Uh -huh. um, I was working um, at the county hospital here in Harris County. And I had to travel from uh, one hospital to another to come see a patient. It was about two o'clock in the morning. 
and I went to go into this room. I had another patient waiting on me back at the other hospital, right? So I'm kind of flustered, kind of tired, and the patient wasn't in her room. And I, so I asked the nurse, I'm like, do you know where she went? And she's like, oh, I think she went out to smoke. And I was like, oh, so annoyed, right? Right. And so here she comes, I, she comes back in the room. I'm already like, um, you know, she had been, um, I'd already been told by the nurse that she, it was something related to prostitution, mm -hmm. right? So I already had formulated this thought in my head. So I'm doing her exam, I walk in and she had this, I don't wanna be like too um, detailed here, but graphic. she, yeah, graphic, but she had like a dried substance on her neck and on her chest, um, which was, um, I don't know if you want me to say Yes. It. Yeah. Say it was it. it was dried ejaculate, essentially, is what it was. Wow. Okay. And so I was like, okay. So I walk in and she tells me her story, um, which was very traumatic. And um I always really tried to like get to know my patients, right? That's what we mm -hmm. do as nurses. And so we after like kind of the exam was done and we were kind of finishing up, you know, um, I said to her, I said, How how did you get to this place? You know, how did you start doing this? And um, she said, well, when I was um, nine, my mom used to make me have sex for money so that she could, you know, Mm -hmm. provide food for the other kids in the house. And so like, this is her life. She was now like, you know, 18, 19. And this is something she, she started doing because she was forced to when she was nine. So we expect this person to be able to change how how does that change how do how does and she how do start at the, the same cycle? place as you yeah. and me like that's not it's... the same place it never will be the same place and it was so eye-opening for me and i i talk about that especially when we talk about bias right because we have these yes. we have these thoughts and we think people should be able to overcome this or do that or respond this way or all of these things and that was just such a a, a moment for me in my forensic nursing career that from that point on i was like okay we're not all the same we don't start in the same place we all have like the, you know these are these are these challenges that certain individuals unfortunately that that's their normal life and so anyway it was very it was very profound but I, i'm for glad me. that you shared like the way that she looked and what had happened because someone that has left that on them it's almost as though it was so traumatic, but also so normal that she didn't even think that there should be shame to wipe it off or like there's not a normal thought process. And we have to realize because there's been so much trauma that yeah. they've experienced that their normal is just so different. Yeah. And the other thing that's occurred to me is their addiction is a way of coping coping and right. masking. And I know when I get home after a hard day, I want a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And if you are raped throughout the day multiple times and you are addicted to certain drugs, you're gonna want that drug to numb the pain. Right. And right. their hard day is much different than our oh, hard yeah. day. Yeah. And it's such a cycle that they oftentimes don't have other skills to get up, which is another part of what well, and maybe where they went or came from, maybe that was worse. Exactly. You know, I think that's I think that's something that we all just assume that this space that they're in, um, you know, 
whether they're being trafficked or whatever that you know relationship is, whatever that situation is, the other may be worse, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's it's hard for us to take in because we and as we sit here and think about it, like what could be worse than that? But likely it was, you know. And so many of these people that are trafficked as immigrants are promised a different life and right. are not brought over saying you're going to be right. As in servitude as a sex slave in yeah. essence, but you're going to come over and you're going to be a nanny yeah, and you're going to do these other things. And then they're told if they don't do what they want to do, what the traffickers want them to do, then their families will be injured. And I remember listening to Sarah Smart. She was the young girl, I believe in Utah, that was mm -hmm. abducted and mm -hmm. people would even walk up to her and ask, are you Sarah Smart? And she would say no yeah. because they had told her. And there's something that happens to your brain too. And I think that's part of it. And what, so what I really latched onto emotionally was that you guys are the first line after they're brought in well, maybe it's a policeman yeah. who has a sidearm, who has a uniform, right? who they've been taught is the enemy. Yeah. Even sure. though maybe they're not, maybe some are, but then they meet your nurses. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that journey and what happens. So many times they're, we see them in a variety of settings. Many times um, our patients show up in our hospital partnered uh, locations, but sometimes okay. depending on the situation, law enforcement, we work with them really closely. Sometimes they're able to come to our office setting, mm -hmm. which is even better. Um, a lot of our um, uh, girls that we, um, you know, are, feeling like maybe trafficked, um, a lot of them will come to our office. We know that that space is better than a hospital. It's not as loud. The lights aren't quite as bright and, yes. bright and glaring. Um, we have different we have food, we have blankets, we have all these things that we can kind of offer them in that space. Um, so a lot of our law enforcement, we work so closely with them that they mm -hmm. know they can call us, they can bring oh, them good. there. So a lot, um, a lot of those girls come there. Um, so really and truly we work with um, our advocacy partners really um, closely, so usually mm -hmm. Um, they're there um, the moment that they come in as well. So we have um, lots of arms around them is kind of how we want to mm -hmm. uh, make sure that they feel supported in every way. Um, so they'll come in and then we just do a thorough um, assessment. Uh, we're checking for injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, we look for different different disease processes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, again, um, you know, like you said, um, they might not feel like they're victims, right? They might not feel like they're being trafficked. They might feel like they're doing this all on their own accord, that they're mm -hmm. making their own decisions. And so they don't necessarily feel like they need evidence collection because they don't feel like they've been involved in any type of anything that was wrong. Right, um, but they are usually interested in, um, you know, being assessed for sexually transmitted infections, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, pregnancy, talking about some of those health-related issues. And for us, it's really a way to kind of be able to extend our hand to them, and that way they know we're <coughs> a safe space. And we have a lot of people that will come back. Um, they'll, um, you know, they'll know that we're a safe place um, if we do lab testing, and maybe they do have some type of sexually transmitted infection. A lot mm -hmm. of them will come back for treatment to us. So I think we create an environment that allows them to know like maybe I'm not ready to leave this situation today but I know that um, at some point at least this is a safe place I can come back to um, and we've had that happen we've had people show oh, up good. at our door um, just you know. not knowing and not feeling like they were ready to go to the mm -hmm. police yeah. but they wanted someone to talk to right because I was shocked when you were talking about strangulation statistics and domestic violence in Houston will you yeah. share some of that um, are you talking about 
about um, domestic violence homicide? Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, Harris County, unfortunately, and I don't know last year's statistics, I would have uh -huh. to pull, um, pull that number, but um, TCFV, which is, um, TCFV, Family Violence. Um, I can't remember what the TC stands for. Anyway, okay. um, they're the statewide organization that focuses on domestic violence, but they uh -huh. do a report every year uh -huh. and they actually will publish um, all the counties and how many domestic violence related homicides um, were reported. Uh -huh. And year after year, Harris County has been number one. Um, and so we're very large. So some yeah, of yeah. that is just because of our just size and our population and all that. But it also says a lot about, um, you know, the crime that's happening in the this general area. Yes. Um, and so they, we know that uh, strangulation is a precursor to homicide. Uh, once a woman's been strangled in a relationship, they're 7.5 uh, times more likely to be killed in that relationship. Oh, wow. Yeah. 43% uh, of uh, women that are killed by their partner had been strangled, have been strangled the year before. So sometime in that relationship. Um, so we know that there is a very large significance mm -hmm. between strangulation and domestic violence homicide. Mm -hmm. Side. So we, we really treat it as, um, you know, a uh, very uh, potentially lethal, lethal form of violence. Mm -hmm. um, our staff are all very well trained in how to do a thorough strangulation assessment, looking for injuries mm -hmm. and documenting those oh, types yeah. of things. Being able to talk about that and uh, throughout the uh, criminal justice system becomes really important. Teaching law enforcement so that when they're on scene, they are documenting and asking the right questions as well. Um, so we do a lot of work in that space um, just to make sure that um, all of our partners know that the potential seriousness of something like strangulation um, is um, something we have to be focused on. And uh, I, we've had uh, Assistant DA Jonna Stallings mm -hmm. on, and we've talked to her, and I know you guys work real closely together. You're also able to help the victims in court and speak on their behalf because there is... Mm -hmm so much trauma to have to retell your story so many times. Right. And I've never really thought about that. Right. It is so much, it takes so much emotion. Right. And when you say it the first time, then you might eventually come back off of what you shared because you have fear or you feel guilty right. or you feel that you deserved it even worse. Yeah. Um, so part of our exam, we call it our history. Uh -huh. um, and so we say that our history is taken for the purpose of diagnosis and treatment. So uh -huh. again, staying in our medical space, um, it really helps us understand what that um, patient kind of went through, um, uh -huh. what the potential, um, like, what are we looking for? It helps us really nail down our assessment. Um, but that assess um, that history becomes really helpful in court uh -huh. because generally we're doing that in an acute phase of trauma, right? And uh -huh. so um, our staff do a history and we write down every word verbatim. Um, and so every word that that patient says to us during that history portion of the exam is written down just exactly like they say it. Um, we generally will write down, um, you know, in brackets, like maybe um, if they begin crying or if they have certain body movements or if they are fidgeting with things, um, just so that whenever we read it in the courtroom setting, it really feels like that we want that jury to be able to feel like they're there and they understand mm -hmm, what that mm -hmm. um, survivor went through. Um, so that's that's that history portion. It becomes really important in the criminal mm -hmm. justice system. For us medically, it's hugely important because it helps us do a thorough exam, but it, it's kind of a, a twofold and um, the importance of, of doing that. 
So before you were working with law enforcement, what would happen when domestic violence happened or when somebody was taken out of a brothel or a sting operation? So before we existed, they um, they had to go to a hospital system. Mm -hmm. Um, In Harris County, before we existed, the only locations you could really have a domestic violence focused exam was at um, Bentob and LBJ, the county hospital system, which is fabulous. They have a great nursing team. But that environment? Right. It's chaotic, right? And so So you're with gunshot victims. Yeah. So that that was it. Um, Yeah. So that was one of our big focuses is really making sure that um, you know, domestic violence survivors especially had more options after uh-huh. they um, have been through um, such a traumatic event. Um, same thing with trafficking. Um, I think, uh-huh. you know, before we launched, there was uh, maybe eight to 10 locations uh-huh. that um, patients could go to get a sexual assault exam throughout this region. And then we've just really tried to expand that and then give alternate um, alternate environments of, you know, our clinic space or some of our women's centers have clinic spaces within them so we can go um, like the Bridge Over Troubled Waters, for example, we have a clinic within that women's center shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can take victims there, do a medical forensic exam there. Um, maybe that's someplace they feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's closer to them, whatnot. Um, so we just really try to give um, options, right? We would need to be able yes. to give them options. What's close? What's in your community? Where do you feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Where do you feel safe? Um, so that's really what we've focused on. So let's talk about some of your collaboration partners because actually um, I joined St. Luke's Friends of Nursing Mm -hmm. because you guys were working with St. Luke's and I think, um, but you have a lot of different hospitals and you're actually expanding to the Rio Grande Valley. So let's talk about like, how does that work? Do you train there? Do you have to have people? Like, what is the process? Um, So partner wise or expansion wise? We'll talk partners (laughs) first. Too many questions altogether. No, it's okay. so excited about it all. <laughs> um, partners. We yes. have a lot of amazing partners, a lot of community partners uh-huh. like the bridge and Hawk and all of these. Um, okay. They're all amazing. Missionary Women's Center. Yes. Okay. The Landing, all of these. I don't yes. want to just, I don't want to forget anyone. So right. there's many, so many, many, many them, partners. Yes. Um, but um, as far as hospital partners, um, uh-huh. CHI St. Luke's, I always, they'll always be very special to me because they are the ones that gave me my, like our first hospital uh-huh. MOU contract. And um, so they're the first ones that kind of believed um, in uh, giving giving me a chance. Um, And really and truly, this is kind of, you know, once I showed one hospital that I could actually do this, I think others- Yes, you have to prove it. Yeah, um, others just thought I had this wild idea that couldn't really um, happen. Um, So once I could, you know, kind of prove that we could actually get this done, I think others bought in and um, it's been kind of like growth ever since. Um, But yeah, so CHI will always have a really special place to me. Um, but then like HCA is one of our partners. They have quite a few locations in this region, but we have a lot of um, other smaller systems. MD Anderson's obviously not small, um, but they wanted to make sure their system was covered. Oak Bend and Fort Bend County is okay. covered. Um, we have lots of freestanding sites, patients out in patients um, ER in Baytown. Like we just have a lot of these people that are like, hey, right. we want to make sure these victims are covered no matter what. And so um, hospitals- So you would send someone there when they had a patient or you would train the nurses how to 
help when they're so a lot of times it's patients show up they show right. up where they're comfortable yeah and so our our goal has always been to make sure that every location has services so that when a patient shows up they don't have to get turned away they don't have to get transferred um, the ER staff doesn't have to like you know worry about how they're going to take care of this patient oh, um, so our goal has always been to wherever this patient shows up you're covered because you have this service through us and so um, that's really been our focus with our hospital partners is just hey we can do this let's get this MOU if you need us call us you know um, some of us um, some of the locations like um, we'll get a call from a patient maybe just because they found us on Google mm -hmm. and they live in a specific area well I can look on our map and say okay this is our closest partnered location to you and mm -hmm. so sometimes we'll direct them to that closest okay. location but a lot of times it's just them uh, patients showing up to whatever right. hospital that they feel most comfortable with in their community so yeah so there's that expansion wise yes very like exciting how do you choose that as the next place well our uh, Rio Grande Valley was really chosen um, long story short because um, there's a college campus there uh, University of Texas in Rio Grande Valley and they had a they had a grant that was really focused on expanding um, forensic nursing services in uh, for their college campus students that were impacted by uh, violence but really in the community in general expanding services so until we uh, launched in Rio Grande Valley in January there was uh, one hospital in Hildago County and mm -hmm. one in Cameron County okay. uh, that were conducting exams um, so for a size for four county region that size that's just not enough location so patients were and is that to, an immigration path Oh, for sure, for so sure they're right. They're right on the border. So there's lots of um, high risk in trafficking stuff. There's uh, you know a lot of a lot of those um, high risk things um, mm -hmm. for sure in that region. Um, so really, we wanted to again. The goal is always wherever patient might show up, that place will be covered with services. So we started um, having conversations with our HCA partners mm -hmm. here in Houston because it's actually part of the same region. They are oh, the okay. Gulf Coast region. Okay, got and it. So they actually covered those hospitals um, in Rio Grande Valley as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty easy conversation like, hey, can we expand here? I'll hire staff for down there. And um, this, was how, this is how that will work. And they were on board right away and have been amazing partners down there. So it's been really fun. And then we just got a second hospital um, partner down in Rio Grande Valley called South Texas Health System. And that okay. gave us nine more locations. So we wow. now have uh, 14 hospitals in the Rio Grande Valley that we're covering. So again growth and is just a continuous um, in that regard because again hospitals want to be able to take care of the patients that show up to their hospitals no matter what um, and we're expanding to Dallas in July <laughs> well yeah. and that's what I am um, so uh, we um, also work with demand disruption mm -hmm. and we had a junior board meeting the other day and we were talking about their collaboration and how they work with you because they're there to help um, talk through with the buyers right. side of it and they work closely with you guys but uh, they were are trying to formulate a plan that could work anywhere around the country to th close down brothels mm -hmm. so I think it's fascinating because and this also happened when I talked to the stem cell group that we're working with Hope Bioscience mm -hmm. it's not just about saving your community it's right. creating this 
system, this process that can be duplicated and taken right. otherwise. That's what true, truly changes the world. Right. And you're such a big thinker to do this. I mean, it, girl, it's, it's, it, it's, it's incredible the way you're changing so many lives. So how did, Thank tell, you. tell about the conversation you and Jonna had. And oh, how, in like, regards when to you, forensic interviewing? Yes. Oh man. Um, so uh, taking a step back, you know, forens adult forensic interviewing is very new. Uh -huh. um, and I'll kind of talk about what that is as I uh -huh. go through this, but um, gosh, it was, two it was August of 2019. So it's uh -huh. been a minute. Um, John and I were at- It's um, been a minute, exactly. <laughs> Feels like an eternity ago. Gosh. Um, yeah. So it was uh, August of 2019. Uh -huh. John and I were um, on scene, mm -hmm. and we were just kind of dreaming. Uh, we had a whole bunch of community partners around us. We were kind of dreaming about like, how do we make the world a better place? How do we save the world? That's kind of always our mantra. <laughs> and um, so we're like sitting there talking. And I was like, uh -huh. I want um, a, you know a victim service center um, for adults, so just like the CAC, uh -huh. um, so that you know patients don't have to go you know here and then go there and then go here and then go there. One day I'll have that. I really think we should be co-located. I think yes. all those things should happen. Yes. Um, and Jonna says, oh yeah, we need to have adult forensic interviews. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. That would be amazing. And so anyway, life goes on. We move forward a couple months, January of 2020 comes around and Jonna calls always take John the calls. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. like, gotta so, get this one. <laughs> so I remember um, her, she called and um, she's like, hey, remember we had that conversation? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, do you want to do it? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, yeah, sure. And she's like, well, we have some grant funds that I need to move around and da da da. And uh, we want to, you know, help launch this program and see how, what the outcomes are. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't, that's fine. I'll figure it out. Um, so anyway, we went down this path of figuring out what does this look like? How are we going to run it? Like, what are all the things? And of course, in the midst of this COVID hits. Yes. So all training stop. Uh, so we had to get like a group of some specialized people who really understood interviewing to do like a one-on-one -on -one, like virtual training as our girls first training because we couldn't get any kind of training and here I am supposed uh, to launch this program and oh it was such a it was so crazy chaos yes yes but anyway we um in June of 2020 launched what we um call our adult forensic interviewing program and essentially what it is is it's just like a child forensic interview mm -hmm. for anybody that's um kind of familiar with that process mm -hmm. but it really is a safe place for a victim to share what happened to them. Um, it is conducted by um, two, uh, currently two ladies we're hiring right now. We're going to hire have a third, but a group of ladies who have a, a background in victim services. Mm -hmm. They understand trauma. They understand mm -hmm. what trauma does to the brain. Mm -hmm. um, they understand all of those dynamics. And so they can have these conversations with these, um, you know, we do, we do these interviews for men too, but most of our interviews mm -hmm. are conducted on women and, um, it really, it's recorded, it's mm -hmm. audio and video recorded. Um, so that way when the DA's office mm -hmm. ADA changes because they move around or the LE partner changes cause they move around, they don't have to call the victim again and ask all these same questions. They can watch the video and feel like they're really, um, kind of 
understand all the things that are going on with that case. So it prevents that re-victimization of that, um, that victim having to kind of share that story over and over again. Um, and it really um, is done in collaboration with law enforcement. So law enforcement still, they're still there. They're still watching the interview while mm -hmm. it's happening. They're able to provide input and mm -hmm. ask this question or that question or whatever. So it's a really way, a really good way for us to kind of continue to build that um, collaboration and teamwork between um, partners, um, but mostly focusing on the victim, giving them a safe space to share whatever they want to share with us. I just know, even with my daughter's medical journey, just rehashing all of yeah. anything that's emotional and difficult to rehash over and over, I, I just think it's, it just causes so much more trauma. Yeah. And um, when you I, forget it, details too, not because you're hiding you, them, but it's just like you've told us 10 your times. Yeah. Mechanism. Mm -hmm. You can only say it so many times. Right. You can only live it again without having to feel all that emotion. So, um, God, we've talked about so many different things. Is there mm -hmm. anything that you want to share about that's coming up? that's exciting? Are there any fundraisers that you're doing? Is there any outreach that you want to share about? We don't have anything else planned as far as like outreach and fundraisers. We Well, we do outreach every day. Um, we do a lot of that with our partners and all of that. So that's, um, that's kind of an ongoing thing mm -hmm. for us. I think our biggest things are um, our expansion projects. Um, you know, we're hiring again, we're growing in our AFI programs. So that's very exciting. Um, you know, it's so hard to find nurses now. There's such a shortage of nurses. Yeah, we have a new nurse starting in a couple weeks, so we're really excited about that. So, um, we're right currently, right now, we have, um, I guess, 13 full-time forensic nurses wow. on staff. Um, yeah, so it, um, it's a big group. Um, we're covering a lot of geography. Um, we're doing a lot of exams in this community. Um, and then we Tell have, us some of the numbers, how you've okay. grown, because I think that's so impressive. Um, in 2019, mm -hmm. I think we did, I want to say 359 exams. Mm -hmm. Um, that was from March to December, so mm -hmm. it wasn't quite a full year. Um, and then in 2022, mm -hmm. I have to continue to think about what year we're in. I know. I'm sorry. I think of everything <laughs> in relation to COVID. I know. It's really crazy. Um, so in 2022, we closed out at um, 1,754, I think. Mm -hmm. um, wow. But we're on trajectory currently to probably, uh, you know, depending on what happens in the next few months, um, I think we'll end up at like 22 to 2,500. Um, we're going to see a significant increase, not only because of our expansion, but just mm -hmm. in this area, um, our exams have grown significantly this year so far. And I don't know if are people seeking exams because they know where to go and they know why that's important or is the crime increasing or like, mm -hmm. I don't know it's, why that is, yeah. um, but our average, um, our average exams, we used to do like kind of between one, 150-ish. Um, but our average now is like 165. So we've really we've really grown even this year just like in this region. So it's been we're busy. And where do you get your funding? Does some of it come from the government? Does the hospital pay for some of your services? Mm -hmm. we, Does the DA's office have some some there? So lots of pots. Uh -huh. um, and I feel like that was really important for me as um, you know, a CEO of a nonprofit is yes. to make sure that we had lots of different arms of funding. Right. Um, so and so much changes. Mm-hmm. Lots lots of changes. So I really yes. wanna um, really make sure everything's kind of like one one pot one thing ending won't 
hopefully devastate us. Right. Um, so uh, the first and foremost, we've, we've had foundation funding in oh, the past, um, like George Foundation has um, oh, helped helped with some of our startup funding the first mm -hmm. few years. They were amazing to us. Uh, VOCA, the Victims of Crime Act, um, we've been we've okay. been a recipient of the VOCA, uh, a VOCA grant um, every year since we've launched. Um, we um, are able to bill for sexual assault exams. Okay. Um, so the Office of Attorney General has, it's part of the Crime Victims Compensation Fund. There's okay. actually funding specifically for sexual assault exams, mm -hmm. not domestic violence or anything, you know, some of those other things that we do, um, but um, sexual assault exams. So we're able mm -hmm. to bill for some of that. Um, and then yes, our hospital partners pay us a per patient rate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's fairly um, low per patient rate just to um, help us with some of the funds that funding mm -hmm. that obviously the um, CBC fund's not going to cover. Um, and then um, we're very generous or very lucky that uh, Kim Og was very generous and helps us fund the AFI program through mm -hmm. uh, bond forfeiture funds. Um, last year and this year, she helped fund Good. the adult forensic interviewing program. So we're really thankful she's for so that. She's connected to uh, victims of violence and trafficking. I yes. feel like she really hears it, sees it, receives it, and does something about it. Well, you know, Jonna kind of uh, pitched the idea to her and mm -hmm. she's been really supportive of the program. So it's been fun to kind of share share that growth with the DA's mm -hmm. office and, um, you know, uh, Harris County, you know, started it, but they allow, they're generous enough to allow all this region to use it. So Fort Bend uses it, Montgomery County uses it, mm -hmm. Galveston uses it, um, you know, so it's been, it's been really, um, been, I'm very thankful the, for that funding because, um, you know, it's a, it's a whole new thing. So people don't really, it's hard to understand. So it's hard to get kind of fund, funding for that kind of specific thing. So we're very lucky to have that. And then you receive funds from individuals. And I wanted to share yes. that it could be as small as $50 yep. to give a victim of domestic violence trafficking a phone because right. a lot of them are turning their phone over to yep. the police or they have to leave with nothing Yep. or $50 for an Alto ride. Mm -hmm. Alto, thank you for reaching mm -hmm. out. Um, there might be a new collaboration there, but there's opportunities. Just even giving $50 can make a difference. Yes. And I think that that's um, can show people that they, if they feel compassionate about this journey and you have a website, you have social media, share some of those. Um, so we're on social, we're on Facebook at the forensic center, the uh, forensic, the forensic center. center. Okay. Mm -hmm. Same as, uh, Instagram. Uh -huh. Um, or those are, our, our probably most active on those two. Mm -hmm. Um, we do have a website and you can get us at either txfne.com or the forensic center. Um, we'll get, we'll get you to our, uh, website. Um, and we do have a donate, um, um, button on our website. But yeah, the things that um, sounds crazy, but the things that don't get funded are things like medications. Um, oh, wow. Nobody funds those types of things. Um, so th the money that we receive from the hospital helps pay for some of those things that aren't paid for elsewhere. So that would be okay. one of those things. Um, but, um, you know, so things like that, um, 
any type of donation helps with those kind of random things like a phone when their phone gets taken away, the Uber ride, the uh -huh. um, maybe the clothing. They need clothing. They need, you know, things So if you're out there like and you work for Verizon or AT&T or any of those, you could give us phones for that too. So yep. just keep that in mind. Yep. If you know people that could do that. Absolutely. And the other, the last thing that I'll say, um, unless you have more things to share, mm -hmm. is I'm just constantly surprised that this is not just one socioeconomic group. It could be people from oh, yeah. anywhere, any group. I was most surprised to find that uh, people in uh, retirement communities, mm -hmm. um, what are they called? Um, retirement homes yeah. are sexually assaulted in the homes. And that's a big percentage of it's not a big problem. Oh, it's it's not. not a big percentage. Okay. It is a, someone that we do. We have is, seen. And you have, we have seen. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, yeah. that makes me feel yeah. a little better. Yeah. But then the age span surprised yeah. me. It's, yeah. You said you go as young as eight years old, I believe you were. Oh, no. We go. Um, our youngest patient's been one month old. <gasps> and our oldest patient has been in their 90s. I feel like 94. So it's a very, very wide age, age range. Um, birth till death is what we say. And it is all across the lifespan, all across the socioeconomical kind of um, spectrum. It can happen. These things happen to all to all all people, you know. Yes. So I, I think that's an important thing that you kind of touched on because it's not just one group of people that this type of stuff no. happens to. So we have to make sure we're talking to our kids. We are yes. listening to our children. We're putting them in safe environments. We know absolutely. Where, we know where they are. We know where they're going. We know who's around them. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to say. <laughs> I'm so appreciative. We could talk for hours. Yes. But we will wrap up. Thank you so much. Thanks oh. for sharing your heart with our community. Absolutely. And for sharing your dreams. Your <laughs> dreams change people's lives. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. All right, guys. Until next week, live the authentic life. Bye.